Father in heaven, you have encouraged me personally so much through this portion of your word that we are uh, about to look at over the years, and I pray that the comfort that I have received from it would now translate by your spirit and word to your people, Lord God, that you would perhaps take a heart that is broken here this morning and lift that heart from the mire, show your goodness, your faithfulness, your glory in this place, and that someone or many people would walk away today encouraged by your word. This is our prayer, and above and beyond that, Lord, that your son Jesus Christ would shine and be on display before us as we open your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the New Testament passages that I find myself uh, returning to on a fairly regular basis is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. In that passage, the Apostle Paul describes the very deep uh, difficulties that he and his partners encountered while they were ministering the gospel. He talks in the passage of being burdened beyond one's strength, despairing of life itself. But then he says that that those paralyzing trials had been purposed so that he and his friends would do what? Not rely on themselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, the difficulties, the trials, the pain that Paul and his comrades were experiencing had been orchestrated to drive them to God, to drive them to God who raises the dead. My friend, one of the great values of experiencing suffering is that it can bring us to a place of sheer reliance, sheer reliance on God, amen? To a place where we see in a most powerful way that Christ is our good. Now, who knows what the precise situation was? Who knows what the exact situation, who the exact offenders were in David's circles, but David found himself in dire straits. David was suffering brutally. David found himself in despair. Life had become too much for David. And in that very anxious moment of his life, David did something very, very wise. What did he do? He went to God. The value of David's troubles was that the troubles brought him on his knees to the Lord. I wonder this morning, are you a person who is despairing about something in your life? Maybe you've come into the building today and and you've worn a sort of pasted smile on your face, but inside you are in serious turmoil. Your heart is full of ache. Well, if that's you, my friend, I'm inviting you and encouraging you this morning to listen as hard as you can with all your might, with the Spirit's help, to the word of the Lord 
in Psalm 55. And I'm praying that the Lord will work powerfully for you through his word, bringing you to himself, showing you that he is your good. Amen? So in agony, there's no other way to describe it, in agony, David goes to God. David begins in verses 1 and 2, and notice this, he issues a string of imperatives to God. Notice this. Give ear, imperative number one, to my prayer, O God, and imperative number two, hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Number three, attend to me. Number four, and answer me. David in prayer is rather forceful here, isn't he? As he pleads for God to listen. He begs God to answer. David is desperate for a hearing before the Almighty. Now something interesting here is that the words hide not yourself, hide not yourself, these words are translated from a Hebrew verb that gets used over in Deuteronomy 22 where God is commanding Israel not to ignore, the key word, not to ignore the predicament of a neighbor, should they see their neighbor in a predicament. So that David may sort of be putting the ball in God's court here, this is bold praying, saying to God in Psalm 55, God, you've commanded us not to ignore our neighbor uh, when our neighbor is in a predicament. Now, Lord, please don't ignore me while I am in mine. Don't hide yourself from my plea. This is bold praying on David's part. Hide not yourself from me, O God. Well, in the latter part of verse 2, David begins to describe to God the real depth of how he is feeling. He says to God, I am, notice the word, restless. Are you restless this morning? Restless in my complaint, and I, what? I moan. In the original Hebrew here, there's a, there, the flavor of being agitated of being unable to sit still. David is anxious, he lets God know that. The New International Version, in fact, has the word distraught here, distraught. Why is David anxious and distraught? Well, he gives the reason now in verse three. David is distraught, why? Because of the noise of the enemy, clamor of the enemy, because of the oppression of, or we could translate, because of the pressure exerted by the wicked. For they drop trouble, they drop trouble. It's like they roll something heavy off a roof on today. They drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. So, so David had these people in his life who, to quote Charles Spurgeon, had venomous tongues people who liked to cause trouble for him and who were harboring animosity toward him. Perhaps some of you can really relate to this. And it was a situation that had caused great agitation and great anxiousness for David. He's very human, and we saw that already in verse 2. He's agitated, but now in verse 4, notice David goes on to express to God even more of his feelings. 
David says. My heart, this is the great David of the Bible. My heart is in anguish within me. Don't gloss over that or skip over that too fast. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Now, I wonder, my friend, again, how are you actually feeling this morning? And are you open with God about how you really feel? David is in great turmoil here, and he lets God know that. He doesn't pretend, he doesn't pretend that sort of like we often do, well, despite a bad situation, I can go on with a stiff upper lip, shoulders squared, undaunted. David is no stoic. And the psalm, I think, is inviting us to confess to God, it's inviting us to confess to God how we really feel deep down. God knows already anyhow how you really feel. Are you with me this morning? He already knows it. The word that David uses here that we translate as anguish has to do with writhing. Whirling. John Goldengay translates this this way. He says, as my heart whirls within me. As my heart whirls within me. It's like David is having heart palpitations of grief here. His heart is writhing, whirling, twisting in anguish. Can anyone relate to this? David continues his self-description in verse 5. He says to God, this is interesting, fear and trembling come upon me. Notice how David, David is laboring this, right? Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. David is in a bad place. Now in this verse, there is an outside slash inside aspect, outside outside slash inside. From the outside of David come the fear and the trembling. As Golden Gay has it here, fear and trembling enters me. Fear and trembling enters me. Fear and trembling come upon me from the outside. And then the horror inside of David is caused by those outside forces. Horror overwhelms me, or horror envelops me, we could translate here. David is in very bad shape, both from an external and an internal perspective. And so in his discomfort, what does David do? What is his recourse? What's the strategy? David, David's just so human. I, I really want us to see that this morning. We think of David, great saint of the Bible. He's very human. David does what so many of us do, notice this, when we are despairing and distraught in life. David dreams of escaping. Getting far away from his ugly situation. Verses 6 through 8, he dreams out loud. That's what he's doing here before the Lord. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Have you ever dreamed about being able to fly? 
It would be pretty cool, right? Oh, that I had wings like it up. I would do what? I would fly away and be at rest. I, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. Pause. I would hurry, hasten, to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Have you ever done that? Maybe some, some of you are doing it in this season of your life. Lord, if I could just escape. You know, Lord, if I could just move to another city, then this bad situation I'm in would be left behind. Or, Lord, this, I used to think this way when I was 18 or 19 all the time. I want to move out to the country and be alone and be away from all the problematic people in the city, <laughs> right? Or perhaps uh, I can escape this trial, Lord, if, if you just see fit to relocate me altogether to another nation, another country. I wonder if any of you have ever done that. I know that I I've done it more than once in my life, and I still do it. And so I do take a little comfort in the fact that even the great David of the Bible entertains the notion of escape as he prays to his God. But friends, here's the reality. The reality for David is that his heart's anguish will come with him if he escapes to another town. You see, the thing for David and for us is that we find our soul's rest in Jesus where we are. The thing for David, the thing for us, is to seek the power of the Lord in our situation. Do, do you know he's able? Do you know he's powerful? Do you know he's faithful? Are you with me this morning? seeking his power in your situation where you are for as long as God will have you there. And that's exactly what sorrowing David does next in the psalm in verses 9 through 11. Notice, he shelves his dream of escaping and he seeks an outpouring of God's justice right now, right where he is. He prays that God would act upon his enemies. Notice this. David prays, <laughs> very boldly, destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues. Work a new Babel here, Lord. Bring confusion of speech into the plans of my opponents. Now notice very carefully here, my friends, what David does not do in verse 9. David in his anguish, in his agitation, does not say, Lord, I'm going to get these people now. Right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say anything like that. He's, he doesn't say, I'm going I'm to personally take revenge on these people now, Lord. Just watch me. He doesn't do that. He does not pledge to take matters into his own hands. Instead of that, and this is key for us, David urges God to act on his behalf. 
Amen? He urges God to act on his behalf. David trusts that God will work this out. David is committing his awful personal situation to the Lord. David is not going to retaliate against his enemy out of any fleshly, strong fleshly desire that he may have on his own. He's not going to do that. He won't slander these people to other people. He won't send nasty emails or any such thing. David takes the high road and he knows, and I hope we know too, that vengeance belongs to who? To the Lord. David proceeds in verses 9 through 11 now to describe, uh, the, he's talked about his own situation. Now he's going to describe the situation outside of himself. Interesting, he kind of switches perspectives. So he turns from describing his own heartache, his own feelings, now to what he sees around him, external to him. He talks about the city, the city of Jerusalem. He says to God, essentially, Lord, I'm asking you, please, to bring your justice to bear because I see seven evils at work in the holy city. I see, one and two, violence and strife in the city. That is, I see people hurting people, violence, and I see people disputing with other people, fighting with other people, strife. Verse 10, day and night, they, notice, they, meaning violence and strife, are now personified. They go around on its walls, and iniquity and trouble, three and four, are within it. Five, ruin is in its midst. Six and seven, oppression and fraud. Do not depart from its marketplace. Lord, come and measure out your divine justice because the city of humanity is ever engaged in endless evil. David is rehearsing before God the reasons why his heart is in so much anguish, but in the midst we again notice, I hope we notice, that he's trusting God to act. Amen? He's trusting God to act. I wonder, my friend, my sorrowing friend, whatever your situation is, are you trusting God to act? I want to read to you Psalm 37.5 twice, and I hope the Spirit will be pleased to lodge this in your heart. Commit your way to the Lord... Trust in Him, and He will act. Amen? Psalm 37.5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Well, when we come to verses 12 through 14, it's interesting. I, I think because David is in such a state of anxious unease here that his praying sort of reflects that. So in other words, we notice that David jumps around a little in this psalm from issue to issue. When you're really anxious, you might do this also, right? 
when you're talking to somebody. You might go from one issue to the next very quickly with no warning. And you do that because of the anxiousness and the agitation that you're experiencing and feeling. So beginning at verse 12, David, a human being like you and I, swings over without warning to a brand new issue. And many have argued that this new issue that he raises is really at the heart. It's at the heart of his pain, the heart of his anguish. It's the issue, my friends, of being betrayed by a close friend. Being betrayed by a close friend. He says, notice, notice the pathos here, David. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. It's an incredibly painful thing to be betrayed by a friend that you trusted. Isn't it? I am quite confident that some of you sitting here today have experienced this very pain. And we can tell it was incredibly painful for David because of the way he lingers over the description of the friendship that they once shared. Notice again verses 13 and 14 in particular. It's, it's like David is pointing his finger in grief and his finger is shaking. He's so weak. He says to the betrayer, it is you. He's pointing to the person. It is you. You betrayed me. We were equals, that is, we were, we were of the same station in life, maybe the same rank, and you were my companion, my familiar friend. That is, you were somebody that I thought I really knew. And remember how we used to take sweet counsel together? We, we shared that intimate fellowship with one another, we, we risked ourselves with one another and within God's house we walked in the throng that is we worshiped together we stood side by side singing worship songs in church we talked theology together but now you've betrayed me you've abandoned me you you, you oppose me David is praying in his pain here now, as we approach verse 15, we need to keep something very, very important in view. And that is that David was God's chosen king. Okay? David is God's chosen king, ruling in Israel. And Israel with King David was God's vehicle by which he would bring his blessing to the earth. So then, to be on the wrong side of David is to be on the wrong side of God's purposes for the earth. To be an enemy of David was to be an enemy of God. 
And I think that the interference of God's cause that had been perpetrated by this former friend who had betrayed David, perpetrated by the wicked whom David has mentioned in verse three, this opposition to God's program fuels what David now says in verse 15. Speaking of those who oppose him, David prays, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. Now, what's very interesting here is that Moses, in the time when Korah and company had risen up against him and Aaron, Moses said to the congregation of Israel, notice, if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows Korah and company up and all that belongs to him, and they what? Go down alive to Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. Now we know from Numbers chapter 16 that in fact, the ground did open up and Korah and company were swallowed up alive. But notice the language Moses uses here. He talks about the possibility of Korah and friends going down alive into Sheol, which would be proof, it would be proof that they despised the Lord who had chosen and sent Moses in that moment of redemptive history. In Psalm 55, 15, David is echoing Moses, isn't he? Praying that his opponents, who are in fact the opponents of God, might go down to Sheol alive. The Bible makes it crystal clear, listen, crystal clear, that it's always extremely dangerous, ill-advised business to oppose a Moses or to oppose a David, the ones whom God has chosen and anointed as his servants to bring his blessing to the earth. Of course, it's especially ill-advised to actively oppose Jesus and his church. Amen? It's ill-advised to oppose the work of the gospel. Now, David could have taken revenge personally on his opponents. We know what David is capable of, right, in terms of being a warrior. He could have taken, he could have done like he was going to do with Nabal, right, and just go and cut the guy's head off. He could have taken revenge on his opponents. He could have devised some strategy to hit back at his opponents. Listen, friends, David could have met violence with violence, right? Aren't most movies based on that? And our hearts love darkness, and so we go to those movies and we love them because they're all about revenge. It's in us, right? He could have met violence with violence. He could have come up with a counterplot to the plot of evil that these people had been laying on him. He could have executed the counterplot, but David does none of that. He does none of that. Watch what he does in verse 16. Notice, but I... As for me, what do I do? Read it with me. I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Amen? See, friends, David's opponents 
were drastically overmatched. They were drastically overmatched. The Lord was on the scene for his servant David. David would trust in the all-sufficiency and in the power of Almighty God. David knew that God would deliver him in his moment of trouble. How about you? Will you remember Psalm 55, 16 tomorrow morning when you're back into the crush? And will you implement this verse, my troubled, agitated friend? In your weakness, will you depend on God and trust in him? David continues, verses 17 and 18, evening and morning, so all the time, and at noon, all day, I utter my complaint and moan. <laughs> Boy, God is amazing in his patience, right? I utter my complaint and moan. And he hears me. He does what? He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. Now notice, won't you, the verbs of action here that are ascribed to God uh, through verses 16 and 18. I hope you're worshiping with me. God will do what? He will save Amen? Mightily. God will hear. He's listening. He's alive. God will redeem, lift you out of the trouble. For the rebirthed believer in Jesus Christ, our God, listen, is a warrior on our behalf. Amen? He is a warrior on our behalf, fighting for us. Yes? Are you weak this morning? God is fighting for you. He is saving. He is hearing. He is redeeming. Verse 19, God will give ear and do what? He will humble them. David is assured. He who is enthroned from of old, Selah. Because they do not change and they do not fear God. They do not change. There, there's no end, seemingly, to their evil course that they are committed to. They just keep up all their slander, all their trap setting, all their wickedness, and apparently there is no fear of God. David is confident here that God, the king on the everlasting throne of the universe, he will hear David's prayer and he will humble these folks. Again, what's David doing? He's leaving the countermeasures and leaving the warring to God. Verse 20, David, the psalm is winding down. David gives a further description of, of that friend who had betrayed him uh, in such a painful way. He says this, My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. Now what's interesting here is that this word friends, listen, in Hebrew, is actually the word shaloms. <laughs> it's interesting. So shalom, of course, means peace, right? So the idea is that these people had all been at peace at one time with the betrayer. They'd all been peaceable friends of what? They were shaloms. But the betrayer went ahead and did what? He violated his covenant. That is, he profaned something holy covenant. He had entered into a bond. He had entered into a compact with these shaloms, with these peaceable friends, and he had violated that compact. Verse 21, I love this, 
<clears throat> Got some butter up there for you. It's almost lunchtime. His speech was what? As smooth as butter. Hey, man, good to see you. <laughs> right? His words were softer than oil. How you doing? Yet they were what? Drawn swords. So the betrayer had been a duplicitous person. Buttering up his friends to their faces, speaking words of admiration and loyalty to them, but in his heart there had been rampant hostility. Have you ever been this way? Have I? Speaking butter, but harboring hostility. Well, may the Lord by his word disturb our comfort, if necessary here, convict us if we've been that way for his good redemptive purposes. Charles Spurgeon presented, I think, a very interesting image as he tended to do, as he contemplated on this verse, that of a, a guy who spreads, imagine a person spreading copious amounts of lard on, a, on another person, uh, but secretly, in a sinister sort of hope, he wants to devour that person, right? So he's spreading the lard in hope, in hope of devouring him. Trust Spurgeon for some very kind of vivid images there. But this guy, yeah, he's buttering up with the words, but wanting to make the person's life miserable. Well, at the very beginning today, friends, we talked about the troubles, the suffering that we encounter, and how those troubles and suffering have the value of driving us to God. We mentioned the fact that God can use our very serious trials to sort of strip things down that need to be stripped down and show us very powerfully that Christ is our good. He's all you've got when you're on your deathbed, right? But God wants to show us that he's all we've got during this lifetime when we're healthy. So the psalm began with David in very serious trouble, driven to his knees, crying out to God, being driven to God who is David's good. And David has not spared, we've noticed, he's not spared God the details of how he's doing and feeling. David throughout the psalm has been truly doing, listen, he's been truly doing what David now commands us to do in verse 22. He's been doing throughout the psalm what he now commands us to do, God commands us to do in verse 22. Listen. My friend, cast your burden on the Lord. Are you with me? Cast your burden on the Lord and he will do what? He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Now, we could translate the first part as hurl your burden on the Lord or throw your burden on the Lord. In fact, John Golden Guy, I love, I love the title he uses for his exposition of this psalm. The title is How to Throw Things at Yahweh. Isn't that great? How to Throw Things at Yahweh. Throwing or casting or hurling takes effort, does it not? 
I can't hope to throw a football 40 yards. Well, I can't anyway hope to throw it 40 yards, but I can't do that if I just remain passive. Right? It takes effort to throw. And when our heart is anguished, like David's heart was anguished, when, we're, when we are mired in, in despair, anxiousness, it, it's very easy, and I know this from my own personal experience, it's very easy to stay there, to be defeatist, to sort of conclude that, you know, it's impossible for me to shift gears. Isn't that easy to do? Well, as a fellow struggler, I'm here to coach you in the Lord this morning. I know it's going to take effort to cast it, to throw it, to hurl it on the Lord, but it's a command from him, eh? It's not optional. It's a command. He wants you to throw it at him. Yes? Now listen very carefully. In the original Hebrew here, that word that is translated burden actually means, listen, whatever is given to you. Huh? Whatever is given to you. For, for something to be given to you, it takes a giver, correct? The burden is given to you. And we know that nothing operates outside of the sovereignty of God. So now having been given this thing, give it back to God. Yes? Throw it at him like a hot potato that you would rather not have. As Spurgeon said, what your God lays upon you, lay upon the Lord. His wisdom casts it on you. It is your wisdom to cast it on him. One more time, Spurgeon said, what your God lays upon you, lay upon the Lord. His wisdom casts it on you. It is your wisdom to cast it on him. And what does this casting at God involve? You say, well, pastor, that's great. Cast it, but how do we do that, right? What does it actually involve? It involves what David does in this very psalm. That's what the casting involves. Use this psalm as a model of casting. So casting is going to involve your crying out to him, as David did. Casting everything to him is going to involve pleading with God to listen, just like David did. Casting is going to involve expressing the depths of your despair to God, as David did. Casting is going to involve asking God to act on your behalf for his glory, as David did. Casting is going to involve trusting God, trusting God with the burden, as David does here. Psalm 55 is David throwing things at Yahweh, to quote uh, Goldney again, use it as your model, as your blueprint to do the very same. Pray through this psalm this week. Cast your burden on the Lord. And notice that entirely blessed promise that is built into this verse. He will, he will sustain you. He will sustain you. Be, be very careful to notice that it doesn't say that God will remove your burden right? But he will sustain you, you can be assured of that, 
through the entire thing. He will provide for you from his unlimited, inexhaustible heavenly storehouse the strength and the support and the endurance and the faith that you need. He will show you that he is entirely sufficient in your every situation. And the same word sustain is used in Nehemiah 9.21 where it says there that God sustained Israel in the wilderness for 40 years so that they lacked nothing. He sustained them so that they lacked nothing. Our God is a sustaining God. Well, friends, David and the inspiration of the Spirit has just commanded us to do some casting. And now in the final verse, very quickly, uh, he speaks of God doing some casting of his own. It's the final verse of the psalm. But you, O God, will what? Cast. You'll do some casting of your own. You will cast them, cast these opponents, down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will do what? Last words of the psalm. I will trust in you. David ends the psalm on a note of confidence and trust in our glorious God. Well, as we wrap this up this morning, my believing and anxious and troubled friend, I think the greatest comfort that you're going to receive from Psalm 55 will be seeing its relationship, not to David, but to the greater David. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the suffering servant, amen, the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, And so as we end this off, let's just take a minute to behold Jesus in Psalm 55. And may our crucified and risen King be exalted. And may we take immense comfort from him in our time of trouble. So David expressed the pain of his heart in Psalm 55, right? The greater David, Jesus, was the one who, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, suffered, Jesus suffered when he was tempted, Jesus also offered up loud cries and tears to God, Hebrews 5, 7. Jesus knows anguish, amen? He is our sympathizing, living king. He knows firsthand the kinds of human pain that each and every one of us experience. He knows exactly what it means to live on an earth that often seems to be futile. He knows all about it. It was Jesus in the hour of Gethsemane who gave expression to the the sheer depth of his feelings and his pain, saying, Jesus our Lord said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Jesus knows what agony, what anguish really is. And King Jesus also knows what it's like to have a confidant or a friend or a close companion betray him. When we read David's uh, description of his betrayer in in Psalm 55, of course we think of who? Judas, who betrayed Jesus for meager financial gain. Jesus knows all about the pain of betrayal. David pleaded with God that God not hide himself from David's plea for mercy. Well, in the case of Jesus as he hung bearing the sin of the world on the cross, the Father did hide himself for a moment. God forsook his Son 
for a moment. Jesus cried in a depth of agony that you and I can barely fathom. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, you see, knows all about agony and anguish. He is our sympathizing Savior. And so my struggling and despairing friend, the great physician now is here, the sympathizing Jesus. He speaks the drooping heart to cheer. Oh, hear the voice of Jesus. Sweetest note in seraph song, sweetest name on mortal tongue, sweetest carol ever sung. Jesus, blessed Jesus. The Apostle Peter echoes Psalm 55, 22 in his first letter. 1 Peter 5, 7, again, is a command. It's a command. You are commanded by God to cast all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. So again, you are commanded by God in your struggle to go to him. Go to him, cast it, plead with your sympathizing Savior who is also the victorious risen king. Tell him your troubles. Don't hold anything back. Trust him to act. Leave your burden with him. And remember this, my final word, I promise. Remember that to have fellowship with Jesus Christ in his sufferings in this difficult season that you face, that's a blessed thing. It's what Paul wanted, to, to share the sufferings of Christ. And it, all of it is leading where? Inexorably is leading to resurrection. Amen? To everlasting life, to the new heavens and earth and pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so glad <clears throat> that contrary to so many messages that we, we receive from the culture, perhaps in our own families growing up, we're so glad that you have not asked us to be stoical, to have a stiff upper lip, to, to not weep and lament, but Lord, rather you encourage and invite us to do those very things, knowing our frame, knowing how weak we are, knowing that we are so human and that we are created and we thank you that we can run to you that your emotional life is nothing like ours you're hearing prayers lord from people in deep suffering overseas right now from uh, a hospital room where a mother has just given birth to a baby and they're celebrating and worshiping you're, you're hearing all of these different emotional like 24 hours a day lord it's amazing to think of your emotional life your strength your faithfulness, your goodness, the power that you offer to us. And Lord, so I'm praying for everyone in the sound of my voice that they would run to you this very day. Do as Psalm 55 is asking. Trust in you, depend on you, throw themselves at you in your mercy. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.